I think informing Christians is important about the harmful effects of alcoholic beverages. It's important that we understand it's harmful to our health. And I don't know about you, I was in the hospital probably no, no more than 45 minutes ago, and you've got all these people and all these, these things that are going to take us eventually anyway. I, personally, I don't want to do anything or put anything into my body to hasten the process, do you? I mean, we're already going downhill. And, and so it's important that we understand, and even, even society understands, that this is something the Bible does address and has something to say about. It's important for us to be reminded, even if we know these things, because it's easy for even Christian people to lose their convictions. The Bible says that the gospel of Christ is the power of God unto salvation. Welcome to Pulpit Power, featuring Pastor Tony Skeving, Senior Pastor of Fargo Baptist Church in Fargo, North Dakota. Today's message was previously preached before a church audience. And now, here's Pastor Skeving. Book of Proverbs in the 23rd chapter, uh, for at least uh, the next several weeks, we're going to be looking at subjects that are relevant to us and, and that the Bible addresses. And um, the one today, uh, we're going to call this, Should a Christian Drink Alcohol? Should a Christian Drink Alcohol? That's a sensitive subject, isn't it? And it's one we want to really deal with uh, biblically, but also in a sensitive way, because I think we all know folks who, who struggle with this very issue, and yet the Bible is very clear on what it has to say about it. So here in Proverbs 23, we're going to begin reading in verse 29, down to verse 35, the end of the chapter. It says, Who hath woe? Who hath sorrow? Who hath contentions? Who hath babbling? Who hath wounds without cause? Who hath redness of eyes? They that tarry long at the wine. They that go to seek mixed wine. Look not thou upon the wine when it is red, when it giveth its color in the cup, when it moveth itself aright. At the last it biteth like a serpent and stingeth like an adder. Thine eyes shall behold strange women, and thine heart shall utter perverse things. Yea, thou shalt be as he that lieth down in the midst of the sea, or as he that lieth upon the top of a mast. They have stricken me, shalt thou say, and I was not sick. They have beaten me, and I felt it not. When shall I awake? I will seek it yet again. I think there's a lot of things implied there in those verses that we can understand, and we'll look at it a little bit more carefully, but let's pray first, shall we? Father, we thank you for the word. We thank you for the guidance we receive from it. Father, we thank you for even the hard things that it has to say that are for our own good. Uh, Lord, certainly thou art not uh, in existence to stop us from pleasure and joy and uh, things that are a blessing. But, Lord, you know what, what hurts and hinders us. And, and, Father, for that very reason, you say thou shalt not. Help us to receive this in the way that uh, you mean it to be. And, and Lord, to uh, understand because you love us, you put walls around us and parameters about our lives. And, and you say no in some ways, and we're grateful for that. Help us now to listen carefully and to learn some things that will not only help us personally, but help others that we love and want to help. We pray now and ask all this in Jesus' name. Amen. My mother had an expression that I heard her say dozens of times growing up related to alcohol. She'd say, I hate the day it was ever invented. I heard her say that many, many times. I, heard, I hate the day it was ever invented invented. I don't know about you, but it, it was an issue in my family growing up, and it did, it did cause problems in my home as a kid. I never saw my 
my grandpa Skeving very much. I actually only saw him twice in my life. He moved to North Carolina when I was, uh, probably before I was born. But he immigrated down from Canada. He was Icelandic and, and married, of course, my grandma. But, but uh, he and my grandma divorced when my dad was only nine years of age. And there were four kids. And my dad was the oldest and uh, naturally felt responsible. And so, you know, worked after school, before school, weekends to try and help support the family. But, but dad was gone. His dad was gone, my grandpa. And, and it was alcohol-related. It was alcohol that split up that marriage. I grew up surrounded by alcohol. I don't know about you. And, and uh, it was just a cultural thing in, in my family. And I think a lot of you can understand that. It actually was part of religion, if you can imagine that, in, in my family. And if you grew up in a mainline traditional religion like I did, you, you can probably relate to what I'm, I'm saying. But my mother always had a disdain for it. And she always would say, I hate the day it was ever invented. The use of alcoholic beverages cost over $117 billion every year. And it claims, it claims at least 100,000 American lives every single year. 25 times as many as illegal drugs combined. We don't consider it a narcotic. We don't consider it a drug. But certainly it is. The real human cost of alcohol really trans- it transcends any statistical estimate when it comes to death, when it comes to disability, when it comes to dollar figures. Uh, A recent Gallup poll estimated that one family out of four is troubled or disrupted by alcohol. One out of four. And so you can do a cross-section in in an audience's size, and I, I know that has affected many of us. But one out of four means literally that over 80 million Americans are affected by some alcohol related problem such as birth defects, such as uh, divorce, of course, violence in the home, um, various forms of crime are alcohol-related, sickness, of course, and, and death itself. The National Highway Traffic Safety Administration recently released their most current numbers concerning drunk driving. They estimate that 17 million Americans have driven drunk at least once in the past year. I was just talking to somebody a few weeks ago, no one that lives in our area, but he got a DUI, and, and a man in his 50s, a professional man, and, and he's not driving right now. So mom would say, I hate the day it was ever invented. And I used to think about that as a kid. When was it invented? How was it invented? And that's quite a thought, because the very first reference to alcohol in the Bible is found in Genesis chapter 9. And it speaks of Noah, and it says, he drank of the wine and was drunken, and he was uncovered within his tent. Speaking of Noah, he drank wine, but I think something happened that had never happened before. You know, there are a lot of theories on what changed after the flood, and one is there was a canopy, it's believed, that was around the earth filtering out the ultraviolet rays of the sun before the flood. And if you study carefully the six days of creation, it does sound like there was this firmament of water above the skies that divided it from the earth. But that, that water came crashing down as far as we know. In fact, it, the Bible says it assuaged. And, and they, they tell us today that if the North and South Pole ever uh, actually uh, melted down, it, we'd all be underwater. But we, I think, didn't have that watery canopy anymore. And as a result, there was something that, that changed that Noah had probably not estimated. I uh, asked Brother Venom about this. I'm going to just quote what he said. The major climate changes after the flood 
uh, from loss of tropical humidity, for example, would have caused fermentation to be intensified, something Noah didn't account for. In any event, it certainly wasn't something new to creation, but it was simply something that apparently not had been dealt with before. So something changed after that flood. And, you know, we can, we can chide Noah for this. I, I'm not quite sure if, if he knew this was going to happen, but there he was drunk in his tent uncovered. Brother uh, Venom also says, as a side note, every variety of grape has its own unique yeast spores residing on its skin, ready to break down the sugars and the juice once the skin is split. And so God kind of work that all into the creation. But in our our topic today, we're really not going to talk about strong liquor or man-made liquor. Obviously, that's very harmful. That's very toxic. I think we understand that. Uh, The Bible says this in Proverbs 31 and verse number 6, give strong drink unto him that is ready to perish. So that might answer my mother's question, why was it even invented? Well, we have something today called a morphine. And if somebody's dying, they will give them that in a certain dose to, to deaden the pain. Well, you know, sometimes dying is a painful thing, and it was in those days as well. And so there was something that the Bible even says, okay, here's a time to use it as a morphine, if you will. And the Bible says, give strong drink unto him that is ready to perish. But it's gone far beyond a a pain deadener at death, it's, it's something now that has been uh, manufactured, it's been put in a bottle and sold. So we're not going to really deal with strong drink. I think that's understood, the, the damage that that can do. But we are going to talk about this business of wine here that we read just a moment ago in Proverbs chapter 23. And the big question with us is going to be moderation or abstinence. That's really the rub. And that's really the rub even in Christian circles. And that's even the rub in evangelical circles uh, amongst those who claim to be Bible-believing Christians. Those who teach that moderate drinking is a Christian liberty, sanctioned by the Scriptures, I think fail to realize that moderation is the first step toward immoderation or abuse. I think that's a reasonable statement, isn't it? I mean, once you start down that road... There are many who don't stop, and I know many who have not stopped. So first, because alcohol is a a habit-forming narcotic, there's an argument against it. Secondly, because even moderate drinking sometimes diminishes our capacity to uh, judge right and uh, control ourselves. So the whole question now is, why do people drink? And should a Christian drink alcohol? Why Why do people drink, first of all? You ever thought of that? There are some, they do it for social reasons, right? It's just, you know, part of our society, it's part of our culture, and they get together and and they drink alcohol. Uh, Some use it, quite honestly, we would put it this way, to get a buzz. They they want to get intoxicated. They want to uh, uh, feel like somebody else. it's, It's many times not even the taste of it. They know that a Coke would be tastier, or a milkshake would be tastier, or apple juice would be tastier, but, but they drink it nonetheless. Now, they know it, it brings about a, a hangover, and, and it's described here at the last part of Proverbs chapter 23. It says in verse 34, Yea, thou shalt be as he that lieth down in the midst of the sea, if you can picture that, or he that lieth upon the top of a mast going back and forward. It speaks here of, of bed spins, and it says, They have stricken me. Uh, shalt thou say, and I was not sick. They had beaten me, and I felt it not. And it speaks here of the hangover. 
And so it has these physical side effects, but there are some who drink nonetheless. There are some who drink to feel good. There are some who drink to forget their problems. There are a number who drink for that reason. There are some who go to bars and drink, quite honestly, for companionship. Companionship. I've talked to some people, and and they say, I go to bars. I don't like the smell. I don't like the environment and the atmosphere. Uh, I don't like the dinginess and the darkness of it. But I'm so lonely that I just want to go and be with some people. And there are some folks, they'll go and they'll drink for that very reason. And, and then there are some who drink as an escape, and, and we understand this world is a hard place. It's, it's really a, a hard place to live in. But are any of these reasons for Christians to drink? Or do we not have something better? Bible tells us in Ephesians 5 and in verse 18, to be not drunk with wine where is an excess, but be filled with the Spirit. What do we have that the unsaved don't have? Well, we, we have the Lord. We, we know the Lord. We have the Lord living inside of us. And so we have something. We, we don't need an escape, as it were. We have something better. Now, for many years, Fargo Baptist Church has taken a stand against alcohol. Uh, we always have. We always will. I think we're one of the very few churches in town that do. I was with somebody this last week. Actually, I was with a preacher and his son, and we had a good time together. And that, uh, that preacher's son was a prodigal for a number of years and, and uh, had made a profession of faith growing up in a church like this. And as it turned out, he got into his 20s and he thought he was saved, but he wasn't. Actually, it's, a, it's really a heartwarming story. Some years ago, we sewed down the, the Fargo-Moorhead area with CDs of sermons on them. He got one in the mail, recognized it came from this church, knew me, listened to it, and actually ended up getting saved. But while he was searching, he wound up in... Um, let's just say an evangelical church. They asked him to be an usher right away. And so he said, fine. So he was being an usher for a few weeks and uh, was hanging out with the ushers. And, and they said, hey, let's go to the bar tonight. And he thought, he thought they were kidding. They weren't kidding. Let's go have some beers. And, and uh, he, he immediately, the antenna went up and he said, you know what? I've learned enough Bible growing up to know that's not scriptural. So for many years, churches like ours have taken a stand. We have a a program on Friday nights. I announced it a little while ago at 7 o'clock to help those who are uh, struggling with alcohol. And I'm thankful for that outreach. And those involved within it know all too well, I believe, the harmful effects and the addictive effects of alcohol. So it is a, a Christian, it's a biblical issue, and it's something that we need to address. In our society, it's gotten to where uh, alcoholics, as they're called, are no longer to blame for what they've become because it has now been categorized or labeled as a disease. And I think we've all heard that, that alcoholism is a disease like chicken pox or measles or, or mump. And this disease is caused by a liquid that you actually buy and you open and, and you drink, and in the process... It destroys brain cells, and it it perforates arteries. It destroys your health. It wrecks marriages quite often. It liquidates finances, and it really brings untold anguish on many a family. I think we all know those stories. I could tell you some personal ones. And and yet, no one is responsible. No one's to be blamed for what's happened. And if you think about it, the FDA would never allow a company to sell a beverage that's going to give you uh, chicken pox or measles or, or mumps or any other disease, but, but alcohol is different. And it's different because we don't believe that it contains a disease-causing agent. When it's sold, it's merely a beverage to drink, and that's really the mindset. And when the consumer becomes addicted, he's contracted a disease. And this, this 
schizophrenic reasoning, really is what it is, allows the manufacturer to sell his product without responsibility or blame. It allows the user to destroy himself without guilt or shame, and he is considered a victim, uh, a a victim like uh, somebody who's hit by a tornado or an earthquake or a flood. And and as, as a result, how can he be held responsible? For what he's become. And so by labeling alcoholism a disease, we absolve the alcoholic of all responsibility and guilt. And thus the producer and the manufacturer and the consumer are both exonerated from, from all guilt and all responsibility for the suffering they've caused. So what we are doing is we're fast becoming a, a no-fault society, a society where no one is willing to assume responsibility or blame for anything that he does. It's just nobody's fault. We have no-fault insurance, we have no-fault divorce, and now we have no-fault alcoholism. Well, I think informing Christians is important about the harmful effects of alcoholic beverages. It's it's important that we understand it's harmful to our health. And I don't know about you, I was in the the hospital probably no no more than 45 minutes ago, and you've got all these people and all these these things that are going to take us eventually anyway. Personally, I don't want to do anything or put anything into my body to hasten the process, do you? I mean, we're already going downhill. And and so it's important that we understand, and even even society understands, that this is something the Bible does address and has something to say about. It's important for us to be reminded, even if we know these things, because it's easy for even Christian people to lose their convictions. In fact, it's, it's, it's easy for a Christian to lose their convictions within a matter of weeks, And so the Bible says, though you know these things, we need to delve into a study like this. So we're going to be talking about the Bible mainly and and wine. And and as you look at verses like the ones we're going to look at here today, you're going to see what appears to be a discrepancy or a contradiction. And there really isn't. There's a reason for it. But when I begin reading the scriptures and what it teaches about the use of wine, it, it becomes evident that the Bible does speak in it sometimes in a confusing way. On one hand, the Bible unreservedly disapproves of the use of wine. People are told not to look at it here in our text. Uh, Priests were not to drink it. Pastors, according to 1 Timothy 3, are not to drink it. Gideon was told not to drink it. Uh, Kings and leaders were told not to drink it. And so you see those verses that say abstain from it. But then you see other verses, and it, it, it sounds like they wholeheartedly approve of it and are told to, to be merry and, and enjoy it and, and consider a divine blessing. Well, let's take a look at some verses here. And behind me, you'll see this one, Genesis twenty seven twenty eight says, Therefore God give thee of the dew of the heaven and the fatness of the earth and plenty of corn and wine. Sounds like a blessing that if God wants to bless you, he gives you wine. And in our Western minds, we immediately go, whoa, okay, Mogan David or, you know, Boone's Farm or whatever the brands are, I don't know. But, but we're talking alcoholic fermented wine when we read that. We read this over in Psalm 104 and verse 15. It mentions the wine that maketh glad the heart of man. Doesn't that sound like, okay. And oil to make his face to shine and bread which strengtheneth man's heart. And you go, what's that talking about? Drinking wine and uh, getting glad? And then in Isaiah 55 and verse 1, it says, Ho, everyone that thirsteth, come to the waters, and he that hath no money, come ye, buy and eat, yea, come buy wine and milk without money and without price. And immediately our mind thinks of alcoholic wine. We read in Amos chapter 9, verse number 14. It says, I will bring again the captivity of my people of Israel, and they shall build the waste cities and inhabit them. 
and they shall plant vineyards and drink the wine thereof. They shall also make gardens and eat the fruit of them. And then this one's going to be more familiar to us in John 2 and verse 10 at the wedding feast of Cana. Christ saith unto to him, or the, the, the steward of the wedding said unto Christ actually, every man at the beginning doth set forth good wine, and when men have well drunk, then that which is worse, but thou hast kept the good wine until now. You know, growing up even in religious circles, I often heard that Christ turned the water into wine. And it was alcoholic wine, so there's nothing wrong with alcohol. Well, let's take a look at these verses again, starting at the first one, and look at them considering that the wine spoken of here is just what the Bible refers to as the blood of the grape, or grape juice as we would know it with our Western minds, or unfermented wine, which is also grape juice. Now, the first one in, in Genesis 27 is a blessing. It's a benediction. And it says, Therefore God give thee of the dew of heaven, and the fatness of the earth, and plenty of corn and wine. Picture that as just grape juice. All right? I'm going to show you something just a little bit to tie this all together. And then we looked at Psalm 104 and verse 15. It mentions that wine that maketh glad the heart of man, and oil to make his face to shine, and bread which strengtheneth man's heart. Three things are mentioned here, and they're all just a blessing that uh, make your countenance shine, or make your heart glad, or sustain you with nutrition. So to say that the wine there has made somebody drunk because his heart is glad, that's not in the Jewish culture at all. This is just saying they have an abundance, and they're blessed by these, these items here. And then in Isaiah 55 and verse 1, it says, Ho, everyone that thirsteth, come ye to the waters. He that hath no money, come ye buy and eat. Ye come, buy wine and milk without money and without price. Of course, milk doesn't make you drunk. It's mentioned the same verse or same sentence, even with wine. And understand that in the, uh, in the Holy Land, there's vineyards everywhere. There's grapes in abundance. And, and you might have a, a soda with your meal or a pop, as we call it in this area. And it was very customary to just have grape juice. It was just the beverage of choice and not necessarily alcoholic or fermented. And then in Amos 9 and verse 14, it says, And I will bring again the captivity of my people of Israel, and they shall build away cities and inhabit them, and they shall plant vineyards and drink the wine. Picture grape juice there. They're, they're putting it into a vat. They're squeezing out the grapes after it comes out of the vineyard, and they're eating the fruit of them. I think even that makes good sense that it's non-alcoholic. And then this wedding feast thing at Cana, John 10, or 2.10, the, the keeper of the wedding said unto Jesus, Every man at the beginning does set forth good wine. In other words, the best grape juice. Picture it in that context. And when men have well drunk. Now, it doesn't say they got drunk. It's just simply saying they've had plenty of grape juice. Then that which is worse. Nobody's drinking at that point. They don't care what it tastes like. And he said, but you've kept the good wine until now. Now, the question is, the Bible used the word wine versus the way we picture wine. We split wine into basically wine or grape juice, but in the Bible, they use wine in a generic sense, meaning the cluster still on the vine, to that which is picked off the vine, to that which is put into the vat, to that which is squeezed out, to that pure juice that comes out of that grape, to that which has had yeast or fermentation added to it, sugars in some way, or that has been bottled up and has gone through a, a period of time where it has become fermented. 
I don't know how many of you have kept apple juice in the fridge too long, but uh, you, you can take that out and it might, you know, kind of pop sometimes or you, you get that bitter taste to it and you go, ooh, that's been in there too long. That's what will happen to grape juice. Now, the advocates of moderation attempt to resolve this, this, this apparent contradiction stuff here by arguing the scripture condemns just the immoderate use of alcohol. In other words, abusing it, but, but not... Uh, moderate use. And that's what we really want to take a look at over the next two weeks here. That's based on the assumption that the Bible knows only of fermented wine, or what we will call the one wine theory. In other words, it's, it's all fermented. And, and anyway, uh, this is something that we don't think of as, as Americans. When we hear the word wine, immediately we think of it as alcoholic. But they think, okay, it's, it's alcoholic, but just don't drink too much of it. Use it in moderation. And there's a major weakness in this view. Uh, the scripture condemns both. I should, uh, scripture both condemns and commends wine in different places based upon whether it's alcoholic or it's grape juice. And uh, we could look at Habakkuk 2.5. We won't this time. But it mentions it as a mocker. Uh, you're close to Proverbs 20. Just turn back a page or two there. And in Proverbs 20 and in verse number 1. It mentions again, wine is a mocker, strong drink is raging, and who serves deceived thereby is not wise. Obviously, the wine being spoken of here in verse 1 is an alcoholic wine. Uh, and then in our text, back there in chapter 23 again, notice it mentions, well, let's just begin uh, where we started here. Verse 29, who hath woe and who hath sorrow? Who hath contentions? Who hath babbling? Who hath wounds without cause? Who hath redness of eyes? It's describing the guy who's been tearing at the wine and seeking mixed wine, definitely alcoholic wine. And in verse 31, it mentions to not even look at it when it's red and it's giving its color in the cup and when it's moving itself aright. It's speaking of the fact it's fermented at that point. It's definitely alcoholic. And we find a very clear admonition here when it's fermented, uh, it's not a matter of moderation. It's a matter of abstinence. Don't even, in fact, look at it because it's attractive and it's alluring and it's the first step to actually partaking in it. Now, let's talk about the word wine uh, as it's found in the Bible and in the Greek and in the Hebrew. And, and I think we'll be able to kind of uncover this apparent discrepancy here. Here. So anyway, in, uh, in, in Greek, the word for wine is oinus. In Hebrew, the word for wine is yayin, and I hope I'm not butchering that, but uh, is, is, is it always fermented when it uses the word wine? And uh, so anyway, I'm going to read to you some things here, if you don't mind uh, me just reading it to you. But we first look at the English language from the uh, Webster's Encyclopedia Dictionary of English, and it defines the word must as wine or juice pressed from the grape but not fermented. In this definition, wine's clearly used to denote unfermented grape juice. But we're more interested in the Hebrew and the Greek, aren't we? So there's a dual usage of the Greek oinus, the, the Greek word for wine, and the examples of oinus in, in, in the Bible or even Greek literature really abound. I think we've all heard of Aristotle. He lived about 300 years before the time of Christ. He wrote a book, Meteorologica uh, or whatever, and I'm not sure that's right, but it speaks of unfermented grape juice as glucus, saying, and this is a quote, Though called wine, oinus, it has not the effect of wine, for it does not taste like wine, in other words, biting or, or alcoholic, and does not intoxicate like ordinary wine. And that's what Aristotle said. 
Uh, in this text, uh, Aristotle explicitly informs us that unfermented grape juice was called oinous or wine, though it did not have the taste of the intoxicating effects of ordinary wine. And then in the Septuagint, which is a, an intertestamental Greek translation of the Old Testament, the Hebrew word for grape juice is terash. It's translated at least 33 times by the Greek word oinous or wine, and the adjective new is not present. Oinous, then, can easily mean unfermented wine in the New Testament. In fact, turn to Matthew chapter 9, if you would, and we're going to have to wrap it up with this. But the, a possible use of oinous in the New Testament to denote unfermented wine is found here in Matthew chapter 9. And uh, we find Christ making a comparison to the old dispensation to the new and, and using some illustrations here. And he says in verse 16 of Matthew 9, No man putteth a piece of new cloth unto an old garment, for that which is put in the, to fill up, fill it up, taketh from the garment, and the rent is made worse. In other words, the cloth would shrink, and the old garment had already done all its shrinking, and so it would tear once it had been sewed in there. In verse 17, he says, Neither do men put new wine, oinous, into old bottles, else the bottles break, and the wine runneth out, and the bottles perish, but they put new wine into new bottles, and both are preserved. Now, he's not condoning this, but he's talking about the practice of putting new wine, unfermented grape juice, into new bottles, which would stretch with the fermentation process, and once used, become brittle, and you wouldn't want to put new wine back into bottles like that, because it would try and stretch it more, and it would break. But we find here, it's the, the Greek word oinus, the one I was talking about there, and, and, and again, the word oinus, and we're going to look at more examples next time here, means everything from the grape on the vine to that which has been put through the wine vat and, and pressed and, and, and is now become grape juice to that which has had yeast or sugar added or aged naturally and as a result become fermented. Now, there's a lot of other scripture we want to look at, but the bottom line is it is an important issue. And... Uh, there's no question the use of alcohol has affected many of us, or it will, and there are countless sad stories connected to it, and as God's people, I think we need to understand some things about it uh, for our own good, uh, so that we might also be able to help others who, who are dealing with that issue as well. So we'll pick up here with this subject next time, but let's close here in prayer now, shall we? You've been listening to Pastor Tony Skeving of the Fargo Baptist Church in Fargo, North Dakota. If you would like a CD of today's message, you can obtain one by sending a gift of $2 to Fargo Baptist Church, 3303 23rd Avenue South, Fargo, North Dakota, 58103. That address again, Fargo Baptist Church, 3303 23rd Avenue South, Fargo, North Dakota, 58103. We hope you'll join Pastor Skeving next time right here on Pulpit Power. Pulpit Power is a production of Heaven 88.7.